this is Roger Green, host of the podcast still known as Surfing the National Tsunami. Today we are offering six conversations from episode 41, our review of last week's FDA workshop on NITs, with two conversations from each of our three interviews with key participants in the event. This conversation is the first part of our interview with Laurent Castera. I start by asking Laurent how he, as one of the few non-American presenters, felt about the meeting. He notes how important the meeting was given that it came from FDA, which the entire world looks to on drug approvals. Laurent Schottenberg notes that his general sense of the meeting is that while researchers made significant progress with NIT research, particularly around ballooning, FDA might require more data. Laurent concurs using the pithy statement, inflammation is a driver, liver fibrosis is a killer, steatosis is a marker. He goes on to discuss the Brutt paper on ballooning and finds himself concerned that biopsy is a bottleneck to approval. Ballooning is the issue that might limit the number of patients approved for a drug. He sees all this as a problem given how confounded the ballooning variable is. He closes this comment by noting that while we might have stronger biomarkers for fibrosis, we do not seem to have strength for NASH scores or drug response. I go on to share the conversation we had about the Brunt paper during 2022 NASH tag and to ask whether the best next step is to redefine the ballooning variable altogether. Yoren shares an argument from the work that if it is so hard for biopsy to measure the necessary variable, why don't we simply use an NIT? He also asked Laurent to comment on some unpublished data Laurent was given permission to share by Dr. Vincent Wong at the meeting. Since the data is unpublished, I will not discuss it in this summary or in the written notes on this conversation, except to say that it appears extremely important and powerful and hopefully will pass review and be published later this year. This two-day FDA workshop on NITs was a seminal event in the development of NASH drugs and diagnostics. The Tsunami team was delighted to attend and thoroughly enjoyed these three conversations with leading participants. I anticipate you might as well, so just uh, sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. When you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. And we have with us now our good friend, Laurent Costera, who actually was with us last week. Laurent, two weeks in a row, huh? Laurent Costera. Yes, absolutely. Good afternoon. That's virtually a first for a non-host. So I think I think you go you go on the wall in the Nash Tsunami Hall of Fame as a two-week-in-a-row guest who was not a host on either week. Congratulations. Um, we, will, we will be sending you your notification shortly. How are you doing today? Fine, thank you. How are you doing? Uh, well, we have Louise with us, and she's just back from uh, Australia. And we have Jorn with us, and he's on mobile phone. So uh, lots, lots of logistics, but everybody's here, and that's great. Why don't we just dive in? I, as one of the few non-Americans to present in yesterday's meeting, I'm wondering what your impression of the meeting was as somebody who really hasn't seen a lot of FDA before. So how did it strike you? I think it was uh, well organized and very comprehensive, addressing all the different aspects of NIT, of course, starting with liver biopsy, AI. Could we improve the limitation of uh, scoring systems that are well known, such as ballooning, for instance, that is really hurdle in, in, in trials, and then uh, reviewing the different uh, NITs, including imaging, circulating in ITs, and finally trying to put this in perspective, how we could use in the future in the trial in IT, and can we get trials free of liver biopsy? My sense is that after this meeting, I'm not sure we're there yet, but to me, this is a strong signal to the community that FDA is considering the possible use of NIT. I think this is a very strong signal, and as you know, usually the world is, is following what FDA 
is uh, saying and deciding. So this is my take. Jörn Schattenberg. If I can say something quickly, uh, Laurent, also uh, congratulations on a great presentation. I followed most of it to some clinic aspects. I had I couldn't follow all of it. But I, I agree with you that in, in that sense, this wasn't a typical scientific meeting we normally have to meet, discuss data. This was a meeting with the regulators and actually it will bring the field into attention of a much broader audience than we normally reach. It would be one of my expectations. I'm not sure as one of the speakers what your expectation there is or if you heard something because obviously FDA is an official governing body and they make the rules in that context. So I think it was a great opportunity to be able to present there and share our thoughts. I felt all talks were given very deliberately and under that impression that this is not just a scientific meeting. But in general, I'm aligned with you and I also heard the message that we want to move away, but maybe are not there yet. Maybe one or two speakers could have pushed the idea more to leave biopsy quickly because at many levels I heard that it's so inaccurate and the concept of ballooning or resolution of steatohepatitis is really difficult. But uh, again, it, we need the data is, is my bottom line. Not sure how you see that. I think I concur with you. I mean, in a nutshell, I, I think there was a general agreement that first, inflammation is a driver and liver fibrosis is a killer and steatosis is the marker. So, of course, we, we need to take into account inflammation. This is important. And uh, also with different drugs, I mean, you have drugs that are more active on fibrosis and the metabolic drugs mainly play, act, let's say, on inflammation. So you cannot get rid of inflammation. I think, again, my sense was there was a general consensus that ballooning is not reliable. And this is a main drawback of the histological scoring system, whatever scoring you're using. The, the NASH CRN or the SAF. And this is related to the lack of reliability, the, the inter-observer viability, even among the best pathologists. And this is exemplified by the paper by Elizabeth Brunt, published last year, showing that even nine expert pathologists do not agree on the number of balloon cells. And this is quite worrying because, I mean, we all know and all agree that using liver biopsy, if a drug comes to the market will be a clear bottleneck. One of my take up message was that the risk is to have a drug approved and having a lot of patients that would qualify or benefit, let's say, for treatment and will not qualify according to the criteria. And this is not what we want, of course. So my again, this is my, my opinion and my perception that there was a general agreement that ballooning is really an issue and we should find a way or AI might be an option. Not sure it's uh, the, the grail, the holy grail, but clearly ballooning is an issue. Another issue is we are far for having the perfect NIT that is able to capture with enough granularity all the, the, the spectrum of the disease and, and NASH especially. Fibrosis, yes, I think NIT at least for diagnosis are, are, are doing not bad, but NASH, I don't think among imaging or circulating biomarker, there's a single need that is able to capture NASH. I, I would be curious to guess your opinion, actually. I don't want to be the only ones talking. I'm just going to make a comment first, then I'll ask you and Louise. So when the episode that we ran on the Brunt paper, which was one of our NASH tech episodes uh, the year that was released and one of the most listened to episodes we've ever had, um, Quentin Anstey was on that episode. And afterwards, we did a conversation with Histoindex. The reason we did that was because the intermediary solution or the shortest 
term solution would simply be to redefine the ballooning variable, right? That one problem is ballooning might matter, but using a two-point scale based on observer definition is is a highly unreliable way statistically to bring that into the process. So the conversation was something like a histoindex Q ballooning score, where you could get much greater alignment about how much ballooning was present as a percentage or as some kind of a continuous variable as compared to simply a two-level nominal variable might be a first step. You were, on a th- were you on that episode? I don't, I, don't, you were, I don't recall that you were a host yet, but you might have been on the episode. Yeah, I remember that episode. Uh, I agree. I mean, that paper is really a landmark in showing us some of the shortcomings of the currently accepted circuit that's reasonably likely to predict the outcome. And one of the arguments that's been brought forward, and um, Mazin also compared this to HCV eradication, where that was accepted, is if we're ready to accept such a difficult endpoint, why don't we just go the next step and then accept an NIT? And Laurent made some comments. Um, I think I concur with him that in the realm of fibrosis biomarkers or assessing fibrosis regression, we are better situated today. When I recap the ELF data, I wasn't convinced that ELF is the perfect biomarker. Vlad Ratsu made the point that we should look at categories, which again brings us down to, you know, maybe two or three categories. I think I saw some data that you presented, Laurent, you know, unpublished data, so not peer-reviewed. I'm not sure how much you can share with us at this time, but the changes of VCT in terms of percentage reduction, that looked pretty promising and it and it was linked to outcomes. So this could be, even in a treatment response biomarker for fibrosis, uh, one way forward. Yes, so let's go to fibrosis. We, we were discussing about inflammation and NASH, but yes, uh, I cannot comment further from what I've shown yesterday because, as I mentioned, these data are not published yet. And Vincent Huang from uh, the University of Hong Kong graciously allowed me to present the data in support of my argument on the fact that we could use NIT, especially liver stiffness, using VCT as a surrogate of response to treatment, at least in terms of improvement of fibrosis. So the reasoning was the following. There is growing evidence, whatever the technique you're using, let's say, is a VCT and of course, lower level of evidence for MRE, that if you have an increase over time in liver stiffness, so let's go back to VCT, starting from, let's say, 15 to 20 kilopascal, not only baseline stiffness is of prognostic value, but the changes, the kinetics over time, if you have an increase, will be related to the occurrence of liver-related event, liver-related mortality and overall mortality. Then you can discuss the magnitude of the decrease, whether it's 20, 25, 30%. There's no consensus. This is what I've shown. Now, the major, let's say, kind of philosophical issue is this, don't forget, these markers have been designed for progression of fibrosis, not for regression. And the question is whether if you observe regression, does it mean that the outcome are going to regress? And this, we don't really know. One of the issues also, as I've shown yesterday, is the spontaneous variability of liver stiffness over a short period of time. And there is variability. And I think, I hope after this meeting that I convince people that we should look at this data. People have this data. You, you, you just need to go back to database and look. There is variability. And the study I presented is a monocenter study from France, actually, retrospective in patients with chronic liver disease, mostly viral, not NAFLD. So we need more 
our data. But there are also data, again, from Vincent Wong showing that in patients, these are NFLD patients, with two liver stiffness measurement within six months before a liver biopsy, those with liver stiffness above 8 kilopascal, one-third go back to normal value. And this was ascertained by a liver biopsy with no fibrosis. So in other words, meaning their variability and their false positive. So this is important to take into account if you are to use liver stiffness as a surrogate of improvements. In other words, the decrease, does it mean that is it real improvement or is it just false positive? Now, the data I've shown are very important data because it's a large set of more than 10,000 patients worldwide, 16 centers that pull their data and showing that if you have a regression with a liver stiffness decrease of 30%, there was a significant decrease in liver-related events. So put in other words, if you have an increase of 30%, this was a short period, uh, about less than two years, there's a 20% increase in liver-related events. If you have a decrease on the opposite, there's a 40% decrease of liver-related events. So this is a very important information. Now, is this related to some false positive? Why is it higher in terms of regression than in, in, in progression? This we don't know. And I don't want to go further because, again, these data are not published. But the data are there and they will be presented soon and also published, hopefully. But these are very important to move the field forward because this is what people are expecting. I agree. And thank you for jumping with me from Nash Resolution to Fibrosis. I agree with you that I think the data that's been presented on fibrosis is just closer to acting as a true surrogate and some of the data you detailed with us here, I think, shows that. So looking forward to see the full conference report or paper when they're coming out. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with coverage of Easel's SLD Summit. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you soon on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.